This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater, last day I'm filling in. Buck, we'll be back tomorrow, all charged up, ready to roll. Thanks for uh, your patience and, and your grace and kindness to me these last uh, couple days. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, the passports, the COVID passports and how ridiculous uh, that is. And then an amazing article from the great Wilfred Riley, who is uh, the next generation of Thomas Sowell. He's the next Thomas Sowell. Uh, he's wonderful. So we'll talk about uh, race relations and the truth of race relations in America. That's coming up. First, ExpressVPN. You trust big tech? Do you trust them? I don't. There's no reason anyone <laughs> anyone should. Uh, I want to surf the internet freely without wondering who's going to ho- get a hold of everything I do. Like, And they know everything. They know every website you go to. They know everything you type in. They know everything where your uh, cursor is on your computer. They know everything. They know how long you spend on each website. They know every single thing you do online. Unless you get ExpressVPN. And it changes your IP address. So... These companies don't know uh, where you're doing, where you're searching from. ExpressVPN.com. Buck has been trusting them for for a long time. So do I. ExpressVPN.com slash Buck, and you get three extra months free. ExpressVPN.com slash Buck. What's going on, Team Buck? America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. The great disappointment continues. I'm not Buck. But Buck will be back tomorrow, I will assure you. I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for uh, sticking around these last couple of days. Uh, one of the most pivotal things I've ever heard, uh, it's, I, I think about it every day for maybe the last two years since I first heard it. It's from the great Thomas Sowell. He said, there's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. Conservatives understand this. Progressives do not. Progressives look for their utopian visions and they seek to achieve them. Conservatives understand that in life, there are no such thing as solutions. There are only trade-offs. It's true with everything. Do I buy this? Do I not buy this? Do I go here, not go there? Invest in this, don't invest in that. Well, there's no such thing as solution. It's only a trade-off. Life's full of them, nonstop, all day. Life's also full of risks. And we calculate those risks all the time. Driving a car is very risky, but you gotta get to work. So you calculate it. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth the risk. Getting an accident, gotta get to work. We are doing a poor job of risk calculation with COVID on this March 30th, 2021. We're acting like it's March 30th, 2020. We're calculating risk as if millions of people haven't already taken one of these soon to be five vaccines that we have in America, which is amazing because for a while we weren't sure if there would ever be a vaccine. And we're not taking into into account that millions more have now natural immunity because they got COVID and recovered. We're not properly calculating risk analysis. And this is what's leading to the vaccine passport that's being thrown around. And that is a very, very bad idea. When you drive a car, there's a certain risk you're going to get in an accident and die. Imagine if I told you, hey, Charlie, I have impending doom of your driving today. Don't do it. I'm scared you'll die. You have so much promise, so much potential in life. Don't do it. Don't drive today. That emotional plea would, would, would screw up your 
calculation, your risk calculation, and lead you to make a not proper analysis and a not good decision. We're still doing that with COVID very specifically. This is the head of the CDC, head of the CDC. She's getting all emotional when she's saying this. She says, I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are and so much reason for hope, but right now I'm scared. Lady, this is not helpful. That is feelings over facts. How is this helpful to the American people to have this woman of science say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off script and I'm gonna reflect on the feelings I have of impending doom. Why are you unloading your feelings on us? I'm not interested in feelings. I'm interested in facts. What are the facts? Now, you don't have to sugarcoat things to me. I'm an adult. Give me the reality of the situation. But you also don't have to start to cry and try to emotionally manipulate me. But she got her headlines. She got our attention. And for what? Oh, to usher in the fear that's necessary to keep you masked, keep you controlled, keep you shut down, keep you locked down, keep you scared until we can get the vaccine passport. And that will save the day. The government once again coming in to save the day, rescue us on their white horse. That is a super dystopian vaccine passport. Jim Treacher, he said, if despair is a disease, the CDC is doing a crappy job of controlling it. They may be the main spreader of it. So this is Biden yesterday saying we got to keep the mask mandates, keep locking down, keep our kids out of school, keep everyone scared. So let's talk about this vaccine passport, a stunningly horrific idea. Uh, so right now he says they're gathering ideas on how this passport, what it would look like and how it would work. But it looks like it'd be something like an app on your phone that you would use, you know, your papers, your health papers, to show that you've been vaccinated so that you can go on an airplane or eat at a restaurant or go to a concert. I, I, I can't, <laughs> first of all, it's, un, it's not necessary. Let's just start there. It's just not necessary. We never did this for the flu. Disney World, Disneyland never shut down for flu. This is a disease, COVID, that once we get herd immunity, I'd argue we're already there, it barely spreads. Uh, remember, um, Israel right now has a uh, the R-naught, which is how fast the disease spreads. If it's over one, it spreads. If it's less than one, it doesn't. The R-naught in Israel is 0.7, okay? So it's not spreading, it's not growing. So if, if you get it, most people don't even get sick. Most people don't even know you get it. Very few people need medical treatment. We have new drugs out there that eliminate death that just finished their phase three trial that just yesterday finished their phase three trial they're getting emergency authorization from the fda right now this is completely unnecessary two weeks to flatten the curve to prevent hospitals from being overrun talk about moving the goalposts. this is a, this is a different stratosphere of goalposts. it's completely unnecessary we've never done this for any flu we've never done this for any other illness there's no need to start now because i guarantee you once a passport a health vaccine passport starts now they're never going to get rid of it they will only add more things to it and if you can't see that by now in your x number of years of life and watching government and watching this country i don't know what could possibly convince you of that 
It must be stopped now. It cannot start. Once it starts, it'll never stop. Thank goodness for Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, taking the lead on this. He says, we always said we wanted to provide the vaccine, provide the vaccine for all, but mandate it for none. While it was advised to take, particularly if you're vulnerable, we're not going to force you to do it. It's completely unacceptable for either the government or the private sector to impose upon you the requirement that you show proof of vaccine to just simply participate in normal society. New York City's started, they call it the Excelsior Pass. Excelsior is the motto of the state, the Excelsior, ever upward. So you need this, you need your vaccine pass, your Excelsior Pass, to be able to, oh, I hate these people, these branding of this, right? Uh, just in the HR1, not to sidetrack, HR1, it's this horrific voting reform act, passed the House and the Senate. It's called the For the People Act. Goodness. If you hear the For the People Act, like th- you better be throwing red flags on the field. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, not buying that. Nice try. Flag on the field. <laughs> What's this bill really about? Same thing with Excelsior Pass. Oh, everybody, this is the Excelsior Pass. Nope, don't like it. What do you mean you don't like it? It's called the Excelsior Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, you're hiding something. What is it really? You need it in order to get into Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center for events and other arts and entertainment venues. So in order to live your life, you need, you need your papers. First of all, so again, first point, I should say, unnecessary. Second point, what about equity? Oh, what about equity? All of a sudden, equity doesn't, doesn't mean it. What about lower-income people who don't have smartphones? They can't download the app. Hmm? What are you going to do then? You're going you're gonna to prevent them from ever going to an arts event? Oh, how racist of you. We're told at the same time, you know, Georgia passed SB202. It requires an ID to vote. We're told how terrible and awful and evil and, and uh, Jim Crow 2.0 and Biden called it sick to require someone to show government ID to vote just to show that you're a real person in order to vote. That's the worst thing ever. If you, if you support that, you're the grand wizard of the KKK. But a vaccine passport to be able to go inside a building? Full steam ahead. How could you possibly be against that? Well, isn't that inequitable? If, 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 listen, the people who are against that Georgia bill, they're the ones who say black people are too stupid or poor to get a government ID. I don't say that. That'd be horribly racist. They're the ones saying that. But they are requiring everybody to get a vaccine passport in order to do anything with their life. Well, what about that same percentage of people? Also, this is the same people who don't care about the, the tens of thousands of people streaming across our border without any actual passport or paperwork. But Americans need passports in order to live our normal lives in America. Like, what, what is going on? Who could possibly be for this? It's so bizarre, like, people are still thinking, they're still operating, like we're living in this dystopian world where people are dropping like flies, like it's the plague. Have you ever read about the plague? Oh my goodness. You get it, there's a sign that you have it, and you're dead in two days. And parents would have to make these horrific decisions, like what to do with their kid who has the plague. Do you just abandon the kid to die alone? And, or do you stay with them and you risk getting it and dying immediately afterwards? There's nothing anyone could do. It's like a horrific, people are living like that's what, that's what we're doing. People are still living based off what we thought COVID was, not what it is, especially with vaccines and all the rest.
yes, people are still going to get it. People are still going to get sick. You can't make any COVID or any illness down to zero. Life is a trade-off. There's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. I'll end on this. Think of it as four baskets. There's four baskets of health. The left only thinks of physical health, and they want to make sure no one ever gets COVID ever again. But there's other baskets. You have emotional health, spiritual health, economic health, and physical health. And you have a hundred balls and you decide how many balls you want to put in each basket. Some put more in the physical health basket. Fine. I put more in the spiritual health basket. I think churches should be open in California. They're still not. And everybody's got to come up with their own decision on how many balls to put into each of these different baskets to find the best balance of emotional, spiritual, economic, and physical health. It's also worth noting that these baskets are underneath this umbrella of freedom and no illness is worth giving up our freedom. No illness, especially something as mild as COVID. People still acting like it's the plague. We should be a country that's celebrating the end of COVID right now. And instead, we're, just, we're debating dystopian vaccine passports. Insanity. We're not rats in a cage. Stop treating us like we are. Mike Slater. Filling in for Buck Sexton. Mike MikeSlater.locals.com. Spread the word. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater in San Diego. Filling in for Buck Sexton. Thanks for letting me be here these last few days. Buck will be back tomorrow. MikeSlater.locals.com is our website. We can stay in touch. Until next time. Um, this is maybe a good time to talk about it after I got a little, a little heated. COVID lockdowns and masks and the vaccines and the whole thing, it's taken on a religious fervor, right? There's a religious fervor to it. Comply or you're excommunicated from the church. If you don't get a vaccine, you're impure, Right? We mentioned this from time to time on, on my local show. We probably have over the last couple of days, even in passing. People are less religious than ever in America, but we are designed by our creator to worship. So if you don't worship him, God, you will worship something. Most people worship themselves. That's why a lot of people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. No, you, what you're saying is you worship yourself. You're just making up your own religion and you worship you. And a lot of people worship politics. So as we leave church, we've entered this different church. <laughs> as we leave the church of God, we've entered this different church of politics. And there's no longer political parties. We are now warring denominations. God is no longer the center of our lives or the center of our culture. The God who can unite us all. No, we all have our own idols. And we pray at the pagan altar of politics. Politics doesn't have, you know, this, this nice little proper place in our existence. It, for many people, is the center of our existence. And that is unhealthy. There's an article in The uh, Economist. It's unhealthy for individuals and it's unhealthy for a country. Uh, the Economist says um, the evangelical culture warriors on the right, that's me, take on the Democrats' new Puritans. So they start off talking about how Biden is such a great Catholic who, you know, supports gay marriage and abortion. 
and how Americans are more likely than ever now to claim no religion as their religious preference. But we're no less devotional. No less devotional. We just worship new things. The self, first and foremost, and then politics. And this article mentions this God-sized hole in your heart. And that's what I want to talk about here for the remaining two and a half minutes. The God-sized hole in your heart that's left when you remove God. And it can't be filled with anything else. The entirety of human history proves that it cannot be filled with anything else. This is why one of my favorite genres of documentary and one of my favorite genres of story are celebrities who thought that fame and fortune would give them everything. And it doesn't. And we'll never learn. My wife and I, we recently watched this Paris Hilton documentary. It's on YouTube. Uh, She is absolutely miserable. And she said growing up that when she makes a million dollars, she'll be happy. And then she said when she makes a hundred million dollars, she'll be happy. And then she said in the documentary that if only she made a billion dollars, She's traveled the world. She's never left her hotel room. She has no friends, no one she can trust. At one point in the documentary, she's met at the airport by a bunch of fans. She's in Japan or something. And these two fans come up to her and they say they drove a couple hours to see her and they take a selfie. And then later that night in the hotel room, she's super depressed and miserable. And she says that she has no friends that really love her. And she says, yeah, I have no friends that really love me, you know, except for Sophie and Katie. And I'm thinking, who's Sophie and Katie? What would Oh, oh, those are the two girls that she met at the airport for 30 seconds. And the the documentarian says, do you have anyone who cares for you? And Paris Hilton looks off in the distance and she looks confused and she says, what does that mean? She thought there were other things that could fill that God-sized hole in her heart. And there's, there's nothing else. That expression, it comes from this 17th century philosopher and theologian. His name's Pascal. He's the guy who also said, uh, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room. Which means you're, just, you're not at peace. You're not at peace with yourself. So Pascal, here's the full quote. He said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness. There was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. What does it prove? What does it proclaim? That he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, In other words, by God himself. That's where the expression God-sized hole comes from. This is, um, by the way, the the Puritan church today of the the woke left. Absolute purity, no deviation, no forgiveness, no grace, no no redemption. If anyone is going to drown witches today, it's the woke left. This is not good. Because now real churches are actually going to split along political lines as well. This is very bad. God should be a uniting force. The good news, the gospel should unite. And we're letting politics divide. And you know who loves it? Satan. 
and the politicians. But I repeat myself. Mike Slater, filling in for Buck Sexton. Spread the word. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater in San Diego, filling in for Buck for one more day. Buck will be back tomorrow. I'm as grateful as you are. Can't wait for uh, to hear Buck again. Uh, Mike Slater.locals.com if you'd like to follow us there. Mike Slater.locals.com. That's our website, getting off big tech. Uh, the great Wilfred Riley is a professor at Kentucky State. Uh, he's wonderful. I think he's the next Thomas Sowell. I want to quote a bit from his latest piece, and then we'll go through it in detail. It's like, well, it's about race relations in America. Uh, he says, the, the, this picture, which we'll get to, this picture perfectly sums up the dualistic nature of race relations in America today. The real picture itself is quite favorable. If we can just manage to clean up all the thrown muck off the canvas long enough to get a good look at it and appreciate it. So his argument is, and my argument is, that race relations in America are better than ever and actually great. There just happen to be a few race baiters out there who have this absolute mega microphone, or I guess mega megaphone, who get way too much attention and way too many accolades and have like way disproportionate amount of institutional support way too much power and control in the media news tv music everywhere i wonder if i wonder if ever such a small group of people have had so much institutional power and because they do they paint this picture for their own power and prestige and it's easy for the rest of us to get wrapped up in it and to have these people change your perception of reality they have so much control over your kids too and your kids now don't have a proper perspective of what reality is uh, we mentioned yesterday i think that if you ask any kid today in high school about slavery they'll tell you that it's a uniquely white man sin that only white people have uh, enslaved black people and they'll tell you uh, many will tell you that it's a uniquely american evil which is preposterous but that's what they're told and there's all these race baiters in schools that are telling kids that being black is a disaster. Being black is a death sentence in America. You'll never get ahead. LeBron James saying he's scared to go outside. It's open season. They're hunting black people. You'll never make anything out of yourself. You have no chance. You'll never be successful. You have it no better than the slaves. Maybe even worse. Your life is hopeless. That's the message that's being spread. And all you have to do is buy this book so you can see how bad you have it. And hire me to do your diversity seminar at, at your work so that I can tell white people how terrible they are as well. It's grifting. It's for money. It's for power. It's to make themselves feel better, and it's not true. So let's look at some data, shall we? First, You've heard the income gap between white and black people. You've heard of that before, right? Uh, white people on average earn $65,000 a year. Black people on average earn $43,000 a year. That's a gap. Now, a uh, Marxist with a Marxist worldview looks at everything through the lens of oppressed versus oppressor. So anytime there's a dis disparity or an inequality, they put it through that framework of, oh, well, here's the oppressed people. And here are the oppressors. 
conservatives look at a disparity and say, okay, well, what are the cultural factors at play? Slash, what are the individual choices that people make that have led to a disparity? Very different. So if you take that conservative approach and you look at, okay, well, what's going on here? Why, why do black, white people earn 65,000? This is on average, and you know, that's a faulty metric too because there's a lot of people here. But 65,000, uh, white people, 43,000 from black people. What's happening here? Okay, well, um, first, we have to account for age. Who generally has more money? If you lined up a 58-year-old and a 27-year-old, which of those two people are going to have more money and a higher net worth? A 58-year-old or a 27-year-old? The 58-year-old. They've been working longer. Working longer, accumulating more wealth. They're more knowledgeable. They have more wisdom and insight. They're... Uh, they command more money because they're better at their job because they've been doing it longer, right? The average, the, or sorry, it's just a, the most common age of a white person in America is 58. The most common age for a black person is 27. That alone has, accounts for a massive difference in incomes. Because again, who's going to make more money, the 27-year-old or the 58-year-old? Well, the 58-year-old will. So when you have a group with more 58-year-olds, that group is going to make more money. You account for that alone, and most of that disparity is gone. Is that oppression? No. I got some more data. Uh, shootings. People's perceptions way off. We shared the other day, 44% of liberals, 44% think that police kill over 1,000 unarmed black men every year. That's three a day. Let me ask you the question. How many unarmed black men are killed by police officers every day, every year? And important to note, unarmed black men doesn't necessarily mean like the guy was innocent. Like, I don't know the, the circumstance in each of these cases, but you know, an, an unarmed man could still be running at a police officer, right? So, but how many unarmed black men are killed by police officers every year? 44% of liberals think it's over 1,000. What do you think it is? 500, 2,000, 3,000. 450. What do you think the answer? The answer is 13. So why do half of liberals think that police are killing three unarmed black men a day? What messages are liberals getting that has zero resemblance to reality at all? When asked what percentage of people, how do I word this properly? Uh, all right. So police shoot a certain number of people a year. What percentage of them are black? Progressives think it's 60%. In reality, it's 25. Our perceptions are way off. 75% of police shootings, therefore, are against white and Hispanic people. Right? 20, 75% of police shootings are against white and Hispanic people. But that doesn't get media attention. The media covers that 25% as with nearly 100% of their coverage. So people therefore think it's nearly all the shootings. Years and years ago, I went to the, uh, the gay part of town in San Diego. Uh, it's called Hillcrest. And uh, for their gay pride parade. Right? Went down to the gay pride parade. And I asked people, had a microphone, a camera. It's on the internet somewhere. Uh, I went around and I said, what percentage of men in America are gay? What percentage of men of America are gay? You can see the video. And people are like, um, I don't know, 40%. 40% of, of men are gay. 
Someone said 70%, 25%, maybe maybe half, maybe half of people are gay. <laughs> like, and I didn't edit the video at all. Like I used all the answers. No one was close. No one was anywhere near the right answer of 2%. So think about that. Think about these people who are at this gay pride parade and they're like, yes, yeah, 70% of men are gay. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? By the way, I'm not trying to dunk on anyone with this. This is great news. What I'm sharing is great news. Just like COVID, right? We should be celebrating that COVID's over. Take your masks off. Let's, let's have a hug and go, go to work and go to, to a restaurant. It's great news. But no one's happy. No one's celebrating. Too much money to be made in grievance. Too much money to be made in, in power. Too much money to be made in control. Same thing with all this race stuff. Too much money to be made in grievance. Too much money to be made in self-pity. Too much money. Too much attention, too much power. Victimhood is a powerful drug. You know, it's so, it's so wild. I, I, people are like, oh, Slater, you're being racist. What, what, what do I mean? How is it racist to report some facts? Going against the narrative is racist? Why? Oh, because I'm not sensitive enough? Sensitive to what? You've heard uh, there's Gallup polls that says 8% of people would never vote for a qualified black person to be president. 8% of people would never vote for a qualified black person to be president. This was in 2015. Well, 7% in that same poll, 7% said they never vote for a Catholic. 8% said they never vote for a woman. A woman. 9% said they never vote for a, a, a Jew. 19% said they never vote for a Mormon. So the conclusion I get from this poll is that about 7% of people are racist. <laughs> about racist or biased or whatever. And that's about right. Which, by the way, would be the lowest percentage of racists in a society ever. No one's ever been more pluralistic, more ethnically diverse in human history. And what? Five to seven percent of people are biased. <laughs> right? And that's that's the what are you, what are you, this took a lot of work to get to that point, by the way. The Civil War for one, six hundred thousand Americans killed to end slavery. Civil rights movement, it ended fifty years ago. And people are still acting like nothing's changed. You take the ethnic groups in America with the 10 highest incomes, seven of them are of color. People from Africa and the Caribbean have higher incomes than white people in America. It never makes sense to me that people can be racist or that we're told that people can be racist against a black person from Detroit, but not the black person from Jamaica. And the race baiters know this. This is why in the absence of actual tangible racism, and that's why they make up hate crimes all the time, how many nooses have African-American studies professors hung outside their own offices? Or people seeing hate crimes. Like my favorite one was there was a noose up in a tree in Oakland. Everyone freaked out. The mayor freaked out. Turned out to be a rope left behind by an African immigrant who set up these ropes to, to do some exercise in the park. Right? So people are seeing hate crimes, making up hate crimes. So in the absence of actual tangible hate crimes, they've made up systemic racism. Oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You just can't see it. I'll end with Wilfred Riley. He says, an ambitious young man or woman of color applying to virtually any selective college or university to say nothing of government or Fortune 500 jobs enjoys a substantial advantage over an equally qualified white peer. Yet we are told from the mountaintops that we are the most racist society ever created and in existence today. It is a total, absolute lie. MikeSlater.locals.com. Filling in for Buck Sexton. Spread the word. What's going on, Team Buck? Mike Slater filling in for Buck Sexton for one last day. Buck will be back tomorrow. So uh, I don't know if you do uh, Lent, uh, but you're, all, you're almost done. You almost made it. Uh, whether you 
are Christian or not, or, or practice Lent or not, um, this is still a good thing to do. Give stuff up. So uh, Lent, if you're not familiar, you give something up for 40 days up until Easter here. Um, you should just do that. You should just give things up. So 21% of people gave up social media. 18% gave up alcohol. 13% gave up uh, sweets. 11% gave up soda. So just a little, the risk of sounding like Jocko. Uh, if it's a good idea to give these things up for 40 days, it's probably a good idea just to give these things up just entirely, right? Just You should just give it up. You should just not drink soda anymore at all, for instance. But I want to talk about uh, the importance of giving these things up just for your soul, for your brain, for your body, for your life. It's true, first of all, that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think one reason why people are depressed a lot in our society is because everything is available all the time. We have no delayed gratification. We have instant gratification nonstop all the time. And when you're constantly, instantly gratified, you don't experience pleasure anymore. One study, there's uh, three groups of people. One was told to eat as much chocolate as they possibly can. Another was told to eat as much as they wanted. And a third was told not to eat any for a while, and then they could have a small amount. And it was the third group that derived the most happiness. Oh, I forgot that I, I got to tell the story real quick. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a man who was taken captive in World War II. He was a small boy. He was eight years old. He was living in the Philippines, and he was sent to live in a, uh, in a internment camp. He was eight years old with his 11-year-old brother. He was there for three years. He weighed like, like 50 pounds. Right? It was horrific. His mother or his aunt, because they were separated from their families, their aunt would, grow, uh, would uh, boil uh, their leather soles of their shoes for food. At one point, he would steal garbage from the Japanese guards and they would boil that and he would drink the, the broth from garbage. One day, the Red Cross was able to drop in some stuff, and there was a chocolate bar, a Hershey's chocolate bar. And Tom said he and his brother each took one square, and every day they would take one lick, not even a bite. Every day they would take one lick. He said it was heavenly. Who do you think appreciates that chocolate bar more? Tom? Or someone who just gorges themselves all day with chocolate bars? Right? We notice this with toys with our kids. When our kids start acting greedy and, and all that, we just get rid of all the toys because they're just not appreciating it. They're overwhelmed. We become numb to pleasure. I'll end with uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. He wrote an amazing letter to his daughter. Let me put it on the website, mikeslater.locals.com. It's one of my favorite letters. Du Bois letter. Uh, a little note to myself. Um, he wrote this letter to his daughter who was going to private school uh, in England. She was like 16. And he wrote this, some amazing stuff about her being black and all that. But at the end, he says, read some good, heavy, serious books just for discipline. 
Take yourself in hand and master yourself. Make yourself do unpleasant things so as to gain the upper hand of your soul. I'll put the full letter on the website, mikeslater.locals.com. And I'll put another quote up there from Seneca. Seneca said, he gave some advice to his friend. He said, set aside a certain number of days where you eat disgusting food and you wear really uncomfortable clothes and you sleep on the ground just so that at the end of it, you can say to yourself, this is the condition I feared. He says, I then assure you, my dear Lucilius, you will leap for joy when filled with a penny worth of food. And you'll understand that a man's peace of mind does not depend upon fortune. For even when angry, fortune grants enough for our needs. Put all that on the website, mikeslater.locals.com. Coming up next, I want to talk about uh, the George Floyd trial and the truth. Well, I'll just tell you what the what the defense is going to present, and you can decide what to do with that. We'll do that coming up next. Mike Slater filling in for Buck Sexton. Spread the word.